So open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. You want to study the life of David? That's where you begin. Our text is 1 Samuel 16. It's verses 1 through 13. The topic we'll find there is this. God sends Samuel to Bethlehem to show him the son of Jesse he would anoint as the future king of Israel. The title of our study, Show Me the Monarch. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as I indicated earlier, this is always potentially life-changing when we open up your word and have our hearts prepared through worship to hear from you. I pray, Lord, certainly that nothing I say will get in the way of what you want to say to those that you love here this morning. And that all of us would be greatly encouraged by the grace and the mercy that you've shown us in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to rise from the dead, and to give us eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Help us as we work through these words, Lord. May they be powerful and alive in our hearing. And we pray in Jesus' name and those who agree said, Amen. Whatever you might think about it, American Idol is a cultural phenomenon. This year, an estimated 100,000 people showed up at the various venues around the country hoping to audition. When it's all over, only one of them will remain. They are searching for one person, one in a 100,000, who has the right combination of talent, appearance, presence, creativity, charisma, and something intangible they simply call it, whatever it is. God had sent his prophet Samuel on a search. He was to seek out and anoint the next king of Israel. Out of all the hundreds of thousands of eligible men, he would find the one. It would be David, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. What was the criteria? Was it talent, appearance, presence, creativity, charisma? Not really, though bear in mind that David had all those qualities in abundance. There was an intangible, the it factor, when it came to God's choice. In David's case, it is spelled out for us in a couple of places in the Bible. Speaking of David, Samuel said to the reigning king Saul in 1 Samuel 13, 14, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, the Apostle Paul further described the it factor by saying, God raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That is what David had that set him apart to be used by God. Now, here's the thing. Though David was the one, any one of us can be a man or a woman after God's own heart who will do all of his will. God presents David not to exclude anyone, but as an example for everyone. The first example we glean from the life of David focuses on Samuel's choice of David rather than his oldest brother, Eliab. It's about the choices we make as followers of Jesus Christ. Our choices are to be made on what we don't see, what we can't see, than on what we can and do see with our eyes. 
How is that possible? Well, it's possible by listening. And so I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, how many Eliabs have you chosen by looking without listening? Number two, how many Davids will you choose by listening after looking? Let's take a look, first of all, verses one through six. How many Eliabs have you chosen by looking without listening? Israel had fallen on hard times. The people of Israel, wanting to be like other nations, had desired a king. After warning the people of what having a king would mean, Samuel anointed a Benjamite named Saul who was crowned king in Mizpah. Saul enjoyed initial success defeating the Ammonites in a battle, but then he made a series of spiritual blunders. He presumptuously offered a sacrifice. He made a foolish vow at the expense of his son Jonathan, and he disobeyed the Lord's direct command. As a result of Saul's disobedience, God chose another to take Saul's place. It was time for Samuel to be shown the next monarch. And so we pick up the story in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. I don't blame Samuel for being sorrowful. In fact, we ought to commend him. Saul had gone wrong by his own refusal to do the will of God. Samuel mourned for him as we ought to mourn any who fall away from the Lord or who are far from him. Pouring oil from a horn over the head of an individual was the outward sign of God's selection. Perhaps Samuel ought to have already by faith filled his horn with oil. God had told him there was a man he would be anointed. Better be ready. Readiness is difficult for us. Why be ready when day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, sometimes even decade after decade, the proverbial nothing happens. Our life just seems to go on. Well, because you won't be ready when something does happen. Readiness is tough. It's a tough discipline to stay ready. I mean, I can get ready for something. Let's say I'm going on a missions trip or I'm going to serve, you know, on my rotation in the church. I can get ready. I can think, oh, yes, yeah, something's going to happen. I'm signed up for it, so I need to get ready. Whereas the, the Lord would have us to just be ready all of the time. It's really, really hard to be ready. It requires a, a discipline. But more than that, it just requires an excitement and an understanding that the Lord uh, has the potential to use us at any moment. Sometimes I think we'd be used more if we had a sense of readiness. God gave his prophets scant information. A city, Bethlehem, and a family, Jesse's. One of that man's sons was the man after God's own heart to do his will. Why not just tell him which son? Well, as we'll see, withholding David's name gave the Lord an opportunity to teach his prophet and to teach us a precious spiritual lesson. The Lord is all about discipling us, all about teaching us, all about growing us. And in those times when we're frustrated because we don't seem to have enough information, then we need to believe that the Lord is withholding that from us so that we will walk with him by faith and learn some things. Verse two, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. 
Now, it's often suggested, almost always actually, that this was fear on the part of Samuel. Uh, Perhaps. I rather see it as faithfulness. And here's why. God had not yet removed Saul. So it would be awkward to anoint a successor, to say the least. Uh, I mean, it it could be considered treason, uh, as a matter of fact. Samuel wanted to know God's strategy for dealing with Saul. I mean, if you're not going to depose the king and you want me to anoint the next king, how is this all working out? If God was not ready to remove Saul, what would keep Saul from wanting to interfere with Samuel, even kill him, which would have been a normal reaction of a, of a king in those days for somebody who uh, committed treason, and especially Saul, who wasn't really thinking clearly. The strategy, God's strategy, was to keep the anointing hidden and secret for quite some time to come. Now, why? Well, lots of reasons. For one thing, though David was God's choice, a lot of work still remained to prepare David. And for another, many of the greatest lessons to be learned from the life of David are drawn from his years of being a hunted fugitive. As we go through 1 Samuel from this point on, Saul doesn't die until the end of that book. And there are just so many wonderful episodes uh, in the life of David as he's uh, anointed but not yet king uh, that minister to us. Now, the Lord told Samuel to go and lead the people in Bethlehem in a worship service. Afterward, he would meet privately with the family of Jesse and anoint one of his sons. When in doubt about God's strategy, worship. It's a great place to listen to God, to get further information from God. God promised Samuel that after worship, he would show him the son who would be king. And so whether it's coming together for corporate worship, when the church gathers, or whether it's in our private lives, uh, worship is a worthy and wonderful activity when we're waiting upon the Lord, seeking the Lord. Verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. The elders trembled. Back in the day, you didn't really want the prophet to show up at your town. I mean, read some of this Old Testament prophecy, the minor prophets who were only minor in the size of their book. I mean, these guys, you know, they they had some heavy things to say. And so when the prophet showed up at your town, I mean, it could go either way. Uh, And it it was a real time of uh, self-examination. And so the elders trembled. We need leaders who tremble at the authority of God's word. And we need to be a people who tremble at the authority of those God raises up, not in a weird way, but in a biblical way, in a way that our hearts are always pre-submitted to do the will of God once it is revealed to us. You know, when we're reading the word or hearing the word uh, read or hearing it taught, when we understand it and, and know what it says, and there's no doubt about it, we are to be submitted to it. We're not to think about it or wonder about it or see if there's some other alternatives to it. Uh, we're to submit to it and obey the Lord. 
We're to tremble in that sense at the word. It's something precious and wonderful. Now, the worship service ended. Samuel was alone with the family of Jesse. And in verse 6, so it was, when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab was the eldest son of Jesse. That fact alone carried a lot of weight in Hebrew tribal culture. Everything in his experience and in his sanctified wisdom pointed Samuel to Eliab. And this is where we pause to make our first point. Look, but always listen before you choose. To Samuel's credit, he did not act upon his own experience or wisdom. He waited. If you want to talk about a spiritual man, a man who ought to be able to make spiritual decisions, Samuel would be high on that list. Left to himself, though, he would have made the wrong decision, a terrible decision. We'll read a little bit about Eliab in a while, and it would have been just the worst possible decision. All Samuel's years of walking with the Lord, all of his victories, all of his maturity, and he still needed to listen for the immediate word of the Lord. He still needed to be directed by God. I can only wonder how many Eliabs litter my walk with Jesus Christ. How many times I've chosen Eliab when there was a David instead. What choices are you facing? And let's think in terms of the big ones. You know, a lot of people, they try and get off track and they say, well, does God care what I had for breakfast? And, you know, those kind of, and, and they belittle the idea of cho- choosing as if, you know, everything that you choose has to be some kind of a mystical thing. But let's just talk about the big choices. Career, college, marriage, job change, where to live, what church to attend. I want to tell you this morning, and you'll have to pray about this to see if you agree, None of those choices can be made on the outward appearance alone. That's not to say the outward appearance is to always be rejected or that it makes no difference. At the end of our text, we'll see that David is described in glowing terms as far as his outward appearance. No, the teaching here is that we cannot make our choices with only the outward appearance. We must listen for the Lord. We must be directed by the Lord. Don't fret the many Eliabs already on your spiritual resume. Start today to cultivate listening until God reveals his choice to you. And as we move into verses 7 through 13, we ask, how many Davids will you choose by listening after looking? We'll talk about how to listen at the end of the study. For now, let's see the result of Samuel's listening ear. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We look on the outward appearance. Even if we try to factor for intangibles by digging deeper, by doing background checking, we still can't see the heart of the matter. We still need to hear from the Lord. The Lord sees Everything, he sees the future, he sees all possible outcomes and relationships. And so it's interesting, the thing I want you to remember this morning, we, we do look at the outward and, and there are some things you can determine from the outward. And God is not against the outward, he's simply saying you really can't ever have enough information without also asking me. 
and being directed by me, being led by my Holy Spirit. Because left to yourself, in all of the outward investigation you can do, you're going to choose Eliab. Samuel would have, and he's more spiritual than us. Uh, and he waited and he heard from the Lord. Now in verse 8, So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, No. And then Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. To Samuel, it might seem God was being difficult, but in reality, Jesse was being disobedient. All of his sons were required to be there, but one had been excluded. Jesse had taken it upon himself to interpret the clear word of God through his own bias. He didn't think the youngest son needed to be there or he didn't want his youngest son to be there. We, I don't know that we can fully know the motive of Jesse, but for some reason... When Samuel said, I want to see all of your sons, Jesse heard that clear word and he interpreted it as saying, I want to see all your sons except the youngest because it couldn't possibly be him. And so for whatever reason, whatever he had against David, or maybe he just had it, you know, just assumed that it would be Eliab and uh, whatever it was, he interpreted the word of God by a bias that he brought to it. And it almost created a disaster. We may be listening, but we will not hear from God if we hold to our biases. Let me put it this way. Has it been some time since you've heard from God? Maybe it's because you've already made up your mind because of your bias before you ask of him. I know that's true often in my life. I have a particular bias, a particular understanding, what I want to see the Lord do or how I want Him to act or what I think He's going to do. And, and I will exclude certain things. And we need to be a little bit more uh, sincere about what the Lord is actually saying. Now, to Samuel's credit, he refused to act even when it seemed as though there were no other option. He had no idea how many sons Jesse had. He'd asked Jesse to bring all of his sons. All of them, as far as Samuel knew, had paraded in front of him. And the Lord said, nope, 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 nope. I wonder if these guys had like a counseling afterwards for rejection. I've been rejected by God. They wouldn't make it in today's society. They'd have a complex. But uh, one by one. God just says no until Samuel's just standing there and everybody's just standing there. Talk about awkward moments. Do you like awkward moments? I don't like them in my life. I don't like them in other people's lives. It's awkward and, and weird. And so this big awkward moment. And so now comes a bit of common sense. While we're waiting for the Lord to talk and minister to us and direct us, we can still exercise common sense. God had sent... Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons. It must therefore be that one of his sons was missing. This is the only conclusion that Samuel could come to. And so in verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? He's being a little bit diplomatic. And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down Till he comes here. Who watched the sheep now that David was summoned? 
From this we understand that David was excluded on purpose. In other words, Jesse tries to cover by saying, Oh, you wanted all of my sons. Well, I left the youngest to watch the sheep. You can't be just having sheep, you know, out in the field by themselves, no matter how what's going on. I mean, you know, come on, sheep. They're sheep after all. In the New Testament, they're going to play a big role. And, and so he's, he's covering his bases. But the reality is, they could have had someone else watching the sheep. He had David do it on purpose. He excluded him on purpose. Why? Well... I, might, I would suggest that his passion for the things of God embarrassed the rest of them. And the only reason I suggest that is because we see exactly that in about a chapter when David will embarrass Eliab and all Israel's army when he is confounded that no one will go out against Goliath in the name of the Lord. You, you know the story. The armies of Israel, the armies of the Philistines... They're all lined up, ready to do battle, and every day Goliath comes out and he says, send your champion out and whoever wins between me and him, mano y mano, that'll be the winning army. And every day the Israelites shrink back. Saul refuses to go out. Eliab refuses to go out. No one goes out. And when David shows up to bring some supplies to his brothers and he hears Goliath speak, He's incensed. He's outraged. He can't believe that no one wants to go out against Goliath because he's a man of God. And his brother ridicules him and criticizes him for taking that spiritual approach. And so I extrapolate backward and I think, hey, this is the kind of uh, opinion they had of David. He was trying to be spiritual all the time. Well, you don't want a guy like that around when you're carnal and you've got Samuel, the prophet, in your house. You want to look at least as spiritual as everybody else. You can't afford to have David there, and so you leave him out watching the sheep. But now he comes. The thing about David, David thought everyone could be a David. David thought everyone could be a David. When he went out and saw what was going on with Goliath, he thought, I could do this. If I could do it, you could do it. In fact, you should do it. You're bigger, stronger, taller, but it doesn't even matter. Anybody can go out against Goliath, any believer, and prevail. And so the point of David, yes, he was the man after God's own heart who would do all his will, but David believed everyone could be a David. Verse 12, so he sent and brought David in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is the one. Notice in the midst of this teaching, Samuel, that he looks upon the heart, the Lord nevertheless gave a good report about David's outward appearance. Outward appearance is important. Our example to others is important. The way we dress, modestly, that's important. Our words, speaking as the oracles of God, those are important. They're not enough, but they are important. And that's, it, it's, we need to see that because sometimes we do the opposite. God isn't saying, don't look at the outward, always choose the weirdest thing, always choose the person who looks terrible and doesn't have anything together and is disheveled. And, you know, God doesn't say that. He says, no, David actually is very handsome. A lot of charisma. He's got a lot going for him. He's a gifted, talented musician. I mean, there's a lot you could say. All he's saying is, you look on the outward. And you come to certain conclusions, 
You need more than what you can tell from the outward, good or bad. You need God's leading. And so in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the outward sign of anointing was accompanied by the inward experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon David from that day forward. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's often described as coming upon individuals in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit's coming upon saved men in the Old Testament was not always a permanent experience. Though the men upon whom he came remained saved, he is sometimes described as being removed or taken from them. Samson is one on whom the Spirit came at certain times. In the case of Saul, the Spirit that was given was also taken from him when the kingdom was taken away. These men did not lose their salvation. The Spirit being taken meant that they forfeited their testimony and the power to serve God. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit permanently indwells you from the moment you believe on Jesus Christ for eternal life. You're going to want to keep this difference in mind as we see the Spirit in operation in the lives of these Old Testament men. Otherwise, you're going to form incorrect conclusions about how the Spirit operates today. Uh, we're going to see the Spirit come on and leave and do these. doesn't mean they're not saved. We're, people are saved how? They're justified by grace through faith. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, by faith, believing in God, they are justified. Uh, now, the ministry of the Spirit, the relationship that they had with the Holy Spirit as saved men, different than the relationship we have. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is a New Testament mystery, the permanent indwelling, something that is an amazing, remarkable, wonderful relationship that we share. And so when the Spirit is taken from a guy like Samson, doesn't mean he's not saved and then he gets saved again. It means that he's forfeited his testimony. It means he doesn't have the power of God upon him to serve. Now Samuel listened. He only chose after he heard from the Lord. The Lord spoke to him, probably in his case by an inaudible voice or some other impression upon his heart. A lot of people, the majority even, think God still speaks. A recent study by the Barna Group revealed that 38% of Americans are completely certain that Jesus speaks to them in ways that are personal and relevant to their circumstances. An additional 21% said they are somewhat certain that he does so. 10% contend that Jesus speaks to them, but they were not as sure about that communication. 8% did not know if Jesus Christ speaks to them. In total, less than 23% of adults stated that Jesus does not speak to them. Now, having said that, I'm not so sure that the majority of people are really listening. Too many choices seem to be made based on the outward appearance alone. People's choices default to the higher paying job, the prettier wife, the more handsome husband, the better climate, the bigger house, the more comfortable situation overall. Choices are most commonly made on yellow pads by listing the pros and the cons by weighing things out. The tendency is to choose the easier secular path over the more difficult spiritual path. In short, though people claim to be in communication with God, they almost invariably choose Eliab over David. And you know, all of us are in that same situation. I think what this is ministering to me and to us is that 
if we don't stop and think about it, it is our tendency, even as spiritual people, even uh, Samuel, it is our natural tendency and our spiritual even inclination to choose Eliab rather than David. To rest on the outward appearance and, and our own judgments, even our sanctified judgments, and to make that trend. So, consequently, everybody has to review their own choices. And I'm not speaking to anybody in particular other than myself, because as I said earlier, I've chosen a lot of Eliabs over the years. I think we all have. But if you really step back and, and analyze choosing, and, and maybe the choices of others that you know, and maybe some of our own choices, we default to what appear to be the better choices. And there's a small minority of people who maybe go into some kind of a mission field or a full-time ministry and we think, huh, all right, some people are called to that, I guess, but I'm not. I'm called to the bigger choices. Now, does that mean everybody's a minister or missionary? Of course not. What it all, all it means is this. God sees your future. He sees my future. He knows where He wants to take us so that we will have the greatest effect for Jesus Christ. Could be right here in Hanford for people who uh, want to stay in Hanford. Could be right here in Hanford for people who hate Hanford. You know, a lot of we joke sometimes about the young people coming up. I ah, can't wait to get out of here. Podunk, USA. Better wait on the Lord. You don't know where the Lord wants you. That's the whole. That, that's either an adventure, or, or, or it's it's just something that you want to ignore. And so this is really this is a really amazing kind of a thing that we see in Samuel and his waiting and his his uh, discipline of waiting on the Lord because he wanted God's best. He was ready to choose Eliab. He was honest about that. He says, this has got to be the Lord's anointing. The Lord sent me here. This is the household of Jesse. This is his son. This is the eldest son. We're in a tribal culture. This has got to be the one. And then the Lord said, no. But he had to be listening. He had to be listening. And then when it got to the point where there's no other kids here, and you look like a fool. Do you know what it's like for the prophet of God to look like a fool? I've come to anoint the next king of Israel. It's going to be one of your sons. Bring me all your sons. Bam, 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 bam. It's none of these guys. Oh, Lord, I hate it when you do that. I look like an idiot. Is this all your kids? Hoping that there's maybe one more somewhere. Turns out that there was. And so these are very, very gut level kinds of things. How do you listen to hear so you can make spiritual choices? It's not hard. You pray and you fast. You give to the work of the Lord. Remember we did that series a while back? Pray, give, and fast. Read the Word every day, hopefully, but as often as you can. Determine that you're going to find your life by losing it for the Lord. Get involved in serving the Lord in your church and elsewhere. In other words, be a disciple. Then... Only then seek godly counsel. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but first and foremost, remember the Lord is your wonderful counselor. When you do seek counsel from men, be sure they are men who have themselves chosen Davids over Eliab's. We have a tendency sometimes to try and get counsel from people who appear to be the most successful in the world. We still have this attitude that the Jews had in the Old Testament that God blesses us materially 
uh, if we're spiritual. And so, so all I have to say is, be careful who you seek counsel from. Uh, you need to find some people who are willing to, to uh, weigh out difficult decisions and who have an understanding that the path that God might want you to walk on isn't always the easiest, most obvious path. You might not uh, choose the promotion, the better job, the bigger house. You might not choose that climate. And, and so you need to hear from the Lord and you need wisdom from men who have walked in that way and who've made some decisions, who've chosen some Davids in their life. God will direct you if you are willing to wait and He will always direct you to choose David. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much. We make a lot of decisions every day. We have a lot of choices, Lord, and for the most part, they're, uh, they're important but not urgent or essential. Every now and then you give us something really big to sink our teeth into. And uh, Lord, working backwards from those, I pray that we would take this to heart. I pray I would take it to heart. That I would understand, Lord, what it means to wait on you. To have readied myself as a disciple of Jesus Christ so that I'm able to hear. To believe that you want to direct me. And to not trust in my own way or in my own heart or in my own understanding, but to trust that you have my best future in mind. And though sometimes that best future will be upwardly mobile, it will be something bigger, something better from the world's point of view, there, at least, there have to be times, Lord, when that isn't your will for my life. If I'm always on a certain track, taking a certain approach to life, I, I don't see how that's really possible spiritually if I'm going to enter into the fellowship of your sufferings and learn how to abound and how to be abased. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd all slow down and when we face that next big decision, we would wait. If we don't see a David in the group, Lord, that we would wait until that David presents itself. Because, Lord, by faith we believe that you have only our best interest in mind, that you want to bring us to a maturity. And Lord, every one of us can be David. The man or woman after God's heart who desires to do His will. May that be our simple uh, philosophy, Lord, as it were. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's